Hi, hello, and welcome to episode number 72 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I am your host, Audie Elmore. A lot to talk about this week. NFL-wise, I've got a college basketball nugget to share with you. But it's mainly going to be NFL-focused. Urban Meyer has signed a contract to be the new head coach of the Ohio State or of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Sorry about that. It's going to be hard for me to get used to Urban Meyer not being a part of Ohio State, seeing as how that has uh, been where he has been at for the past nine years or so. Patrick Mahomes is injured. His Status is in doubt for the AFC Championship game next week. You'll hear from former Browns offensive lineman Joe Thomas about that. You'll hear a little bit from Urban Meyer about his decision to leave Ohio State in the athletic department role and uh, what he decided about taking some members of the Ohio State staff with him. We will touch briefly on Ohio State. A couple of big names have decided that they will or won't be coming back next season. Uh, The Cleveland Browns uh, are interesting, and uh, I have some crow to eat about them. We'll talk about that. Uh, Of course, we got Rodgers versus Brady, the death of Drew Brees, and uh, I changed my mind. I think I changed my mind about an NFL rule this weekend, so we'll talk about all those and more. But let's start with Urban Meyer, and I understand that this is a little bit dated to a lot of people because I believe... He signed on Wednesday, which was the day I released the podcast, which is fine. But um, I was very surprised. I was surprised that this ended up happening because I just couldn't see Urban Meyer taking a job in the NFL. Number one, I thought because it would be difficult for him to succeed. Number two, because of his health problems, which people like to to, to poke fun at, at Coach Meyer for those. But They are legitimate, and I'm sure he's probably had some treatments and some surgeries and different things to help that, and obviously not being in a very stressful position like he was and being the head football coach at Ohio State, that obviously helps him health-wise as well. So after a few years of that, I'm sure he probably feels better and has the itch. But the NFL is... There's a lot of losing in the NFL. Urban Meyer did not do much losing. I think he was something like 82-9 and during his time at Ohio State. He's won three national championships. He's one of only three coaches ever to win national championships at two different schools. He is, simply put, one of the greatest football coaches and, in my opinion, one of the greatest all-around leaders in the history of football. But the NFL is so different in so many ways. You have a very strict salary cap. You have a roster limit. You have a GM that, that you work with. You have uh, a draft. You There's not very much recruiting going on. There's divisions that you play, teams that you play twice a year. There, It's just it's so different from top to bottom. The, the rules are different. Everything is different. So I wondered, first of all, I was surprised that Urban Meyer was even interested. Second of all, I wondered why Jacksonville of all the jobs, of all the places? Because there were seven openings, and it felt like Jacksonville was the only one that was legitimately 
in the running for Urban Meyer. And I think the reason for that was, number one, I think being in Florida was a big deal. He's got family in Florida. He lived there for a considerable amount of time. He's got a home in Florida, so on and so forth. Number two, they have the number one overall pick. Number three, they have an owner that's got deep pockets and aggressively has pursued Urban Meyer. Number four, whatever number I'm on, I think that's a winnable division almost every year. You look at the Houston Texans, for example. They're in that division. The Texans are the biggest dumpster fire in the NFL right now. They don't have a head coach. They don't have a GM. Well, they hired a GM, but there's problems with that GM. They've pissed off their star quarterback and Deshaun Watson, and now there's reports coming out that he's played his last game as a Texan quarterback. And, oh, by the way, he signed a massive contract just a, a year ago. J.J. Watt is on the way out. They can't afford him anymore. They already traded away their best player before last season in DeAndre Hopkins. They have a lot, a lot of problems. It's the least desirable job in the NFL. There, there are coaches that don't want anything to do with that. So the Texans are going to be really, really bad next year, I think, especially if they lose Deshaun Watson. Then you put on top of that that the Titans, you really don't know what their future holds. And the Indianapolis Colts, same with them, especially at the quarterback position. So it feels like every year that's sort of a winnable division. And Jacksonville has some good pieces. They've got a couple young uh, young receivers, DJ Chark and um, LaVisca Chenault, that are impressive. Gardner Minshew is probably at this point going to be a solid backup quarterback if that's that is the the route Urban decides to take. You've you've got talent there. You've got a, a defense that has struggled a little bit. They're going to need to. I mean, it, it it's a whole roster overhaul. Don't get me wrong, but they're probably not as far away as one in fifteen. Their record from this year would suggest, which. That's normally the case in the NFL. Teams aren't as bad as they look, and teams aren't as good as they look either. So it was really interesting. And one thing Urban kept saying in his press conference with the Jacksonville media, with the national media, was that he wouldn't have taken this job or any job if it wasn't the perfect situation. So I think the the culmination of those four things plus other things were the reason that Urban thought this was a perfect situation. Everyone wants to to go and say, oh, he's going to take Justin Fields, and yada, yada. I would be surprised if Urban Meyer took Justin Fields. I think he's going to take Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor is the more pro-ready prospect at the moment. I think Trevor is the type of face of the franchise guy that they need in Jacksonville. And that's not a knock on Justin Fields. Justin Fields, I just don't think, is as good of a quarterback as Trevor Lawrence is. Justin Fields has his flaws, as every quarterback prospect does. Zach Wilson's probably in that conversation as well. Urban name-dropped all three of them in the press conference. But it feels like Trevor Lawrence is the number one pick. You're starting there, and all of a sudden, boom, Jacksonville has two new faces of the franchise, Urban Meyer and Trevor Lawrence. Apparently, the season ticket numbers were insane. You know, one thing I enjoyed about all this, Jacksonville fans have not had very much to cheer about at all. 
I mean, at all. I mean, they went to the AFC title game a couple of years ago with Blake Bortles, and they were just so close to going to the Super Bowl. But for the majority of their existence, since the since 1995, they made two AFC championship appearances and a whole lot of losing. So for them to be really excited, by the way, this is a team that plays like two games a year in London, so their fans don't even get to see them play all that often. So, by the way, with Urban Meyer, how much you want to bet that London deal ends quicker than it was supposed to? Anyways, these fans have nothing really to cheer about and haven't for quite some time. He said as he drank his coffee. But scrolling through Twitter during Urban's press conference and seeing the excitement level of these Jags fans replying to the Jags tweets and just tweeting about the Jags and people talking about buying season tickets and swimming in the pool and doing all these things that they do up in Jacksonville, down in Jacksonville. That was cool for them because I know the feeling of that young, energetic high energy feeling around a franchise that, okay, the door is open. Now we have a chance. We're not going to lose anymore. Now, I don't expect Urban Meyer to take this team from 1-15 to the playoffs, but I do expect them to be much better than 1-15. And this is coming from a guy who still has considerable doubts about Urban's ability because you're not coaching college guys anymore. You're coaching grown men. You're coaching professionals. And as much as we and me personally like to defend NFL players and because a lot of there's a lot of talk out there that players and professional players are just in it for the money. And that's that is true for I'm sure plenty of players in the NFL. But there are other guys, a considerable amount of guys that do it because they love the game of football and they want to win championships. But there are always bad apples on every roster. There are always selfish players on every roster. There are always players that will be less open to leadership, to criticism, to sacrifice for the betterment of the football team. And you'll find that on all 32 teams. So how he succeeds, I don't know. I would be I'm really curious to see what his offense is going to look like assuming now I believe he said he's not going to call plays which that's fine. I wouldn't want to call plays if I were him either at that point. But you know the the NFL and the spread offense which is what Urban is known for. The there's more spread offense in the NFL now than there ever has been at any point in history, but there's still it's not to the point of the Big Ten or to the Pac-12 or the Big 12, for example, or we're spreading it out every single play. And, and with the amount of defensive playmakers, specifically on the defensive line and the struggles, uh, really the depth of the offensive line all across the NFL, it, it's really hard to go five wide. It's really hard to, to spread it out as much as Urban's teams have done in the past. So I'm be I'm going to be curious to see how he adjusts to that offensively when it comes to his off or how he adjusts to that offensively when it comes to building his team. So the other thing that he kept bringing up in the press conference was his staff. And if you know anything about Urban Meyer, 
he is a coach's first guy. He will not blame the players when things go wrong. He will blame the coaches. He has always, always been like that with his coaches and surrounding himself with people and, and, and leaders and people that are willing to sacrifice. You know, Mike Vrabel, Luke Fickle, uh, a few of those guys, Ryan Day, that have come from that, Brian Hartline, that have come from that, that you have really emerged as, as good young coaches. And that's kind of, you know, something that Urban is known for aside from winning games. So there was a, a pretty – a lot of people in Ohio and Ohio State were worried that Ohio that, – that Urban was going to kind of raid the Ohio State program of coaches when he goes to Jacksonville. And uh, here's a snippet of – Urban Meyer talking to the media. This was, I believe, Bill uh, Rabinovich. I can't think of his, I, I don't know. I think I butchered his last name. From the Columbus Dispatch, asking Urban Meyer about his decision and if he will be taking any members of the Ohio State staff with him to Jacksonville. Hi, Urban. First of all, congratulations. Um, I have two questions. First, a lot of people here in Columbus are wondering if some of your core people you had at Ohio State will be joining you. I've, I've been told Mickey isn't, but can you address whether others will, such as Mark Pantone and Ryan Stamper? Yeah, I talked to Gene and I talked to Coach Day. And, and Bill, you know my affection for both those guys and, and the great university that we represented, and, and I won't do that. And there might be one, uh, maybe. You know, I'm not, I'm not there yet. But, you know, I told Gene, I said, yeah, Coach Marotti, Pantone, the whole crew's leaving. And they're like, what? You know, that's the best infrastructure in college sports. So... Uh, no, they will not. You know, they will not be leaving. I'm not touching. You know, there might be one. I said that uh, will leave, but I, I am, I am not going to do that to uh, uh, that organization. And I, I'm not sure they would go. It's uh, Ohio State is home to those guys now. There you go. That's Urban Meyer talking to the media. Audio courtesy of the Jacksonville Jaguars. He was talking to Bill Rabinowitz from the Columbus Dispatch. And I thought that was interesting. And if you're not familiar with some of the names brought up there, Mickey Marotti is Ohio State's head strength coach, assistant athletic director, uh, the right-hand man, essentially, to the head football coach at Ohio State. And probably, and I think comfortably could say, uh, the best in America at what he does and is very close with Urban Meyer. And so um, that was a, something that made a lot of Ohio State people nervous because you know, the argument could be made that he is the heart and soul, Mickey, of of Ohio State football, and 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 that would be a fair assumption to to some. But I thought it was cool that that he had so much respect for Gene Smith and for Ryan Day and for um, everyone there that he said maybe one person, and he didn't seem to to know that for sure. And as I'm standing here right now, recording this, uh, I don't know of anybody that has or will be leaving Ohio State to join him in Jacksonville. I only know. Or from what I've read so far, only know three members of his staff and uh, a couple of names that you might recognize. The first one being Charlie Strong, the former head coach at Texas, the former head coach, I believe, at USF or Florida International or something. I don't forget where he went after uh, Texas. Um, a defensive-minded guy and a, and a pretty good football coach, Chris Ash, who spent some time with him at Ohio State and then I believe bounced around uh, the Big Ten, and Anthony Schlegel, who famously threw a student to the ground at Ohio Stadium when he ran onto the field. There's a famous picture of that, and it's 
it's uh, it's quite glorious. Schlegel uh, taught a class with Urban, uh, I believe, or in conjunction with Urban at Ohio State about leadership. They've been close for quite some time. Schlegel will be a part of the um, strength and conditioning staff in Jacksonville. He played linebacker in the NFL for a couple minutes. He played linebacker at Ohio State and uh, was actually just recently was a part of a new radio show called the, I think it's called Morning Juice on 97.1, the fan in Columbus, which is uh, the flagship station of the Ohio State Buckeyes. So um, a lot of familiarity there. And I think, you know, that that's going to be a theme. Obviously, there was rumors that Raheem Morris was going to interview to be the defensive coordinator in Jacksonville with Urban. And uh, that was changed today he canceled Raheem Morris canceled that interview and then is uh, is believed to be he's going to be the next defensive coordinator uh, in Los Angeles with the Rams after they hired or they lost their DC Brandon Staley to the Chargers to be their head coach we'll talk about head coaches and and uh, all that in a little bit because there's a interesting thing I I don't know if I brought it up last week or not but the, the the lack of minority coaches and kind of the struggle that the NFL is going through yet again during the coaching hiring cycle that is uh, not looking good when it comes to diversity hiring in the NFL. But all that, all that aside, um, Urban Meyer is the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what to expect. But I found myself listening to him, and, and I'm a big fan of his, and, and I, I really, truly love Urban, and I think he's a great coach and a great guy. And if you haven't, listened to his podcast with Tim Kite. It's called the Focus 3 Podcast. Uh, it makes you want to be a better person, a better human being. It's about leadership. It's about anything under the sun, about self-improvement. Uh, there's a quote that, that in their most recent episode from Urban that has not left my mind. And it's, it's, and it's been, oh gosh, it's probably been two weeks now since I heard it. And, I, and Urban and, and Tim said in the, in the uh, podcast, embrace the discomfort of self-evaluation. And I think that's so important to so many people. You know, we have some issues. I've been, I've had some issues, um, with with coworkers and stuff recently. And you know, I kind of just put a little note on our uh, on the back of our door in our studio that says, "Embrace the discomfort of self evaluation." Basically, saying we all got to be better than how we've been right now. Uh, and you know, just trying to pick the team up a little bit and help everybody focus on, you know, how we can be better. And that that translates to so many phases of life. And this is getting off topic from Urban Meyer as the head coach, but you know, that's the type of, of things that he, he says and he leads by. And Urban is no no stranger to criticism and, and it's been deserved and he'll be the first one to tell you that. But uh bygones are bygones and he's the head coach of the Jags and uh quite honestly I'm excited for him and I'm gonna be rooting so hard for the Jags. I actually have a Jags hat that I forgot I had, like 07, 08, right before the NFL went to Nike, I got a Jags Reebok knit hat because I loved Maurice Jones Drew. And I still have it, and I might start wearing it again because it's it's an old logo. It's so outdated. But because uh, my boy Urban Meyer is the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Okay, coming back, uh, we'll talk about Ohio State, we'll talk about the lack of diversity hiring in the NFL. We'll talk about the NFL divisional round, which was insane. Uh, I've got a nugget for you about college basketball and uh, a whole lot more. You're listening 
to the Ball Don't Lie podcast. Welcome back to episode number 72 of the Ball Don't Lie podcast. I'm your host, Audie Elmore. Appreciate you sitting through that, and if you didn't, that's cool too. Okay, uh, I went really long on that first segment, like 20 minutes, so I'm going to try to keep this relatively short. I don't like to keep people over half an hour because I do uh, I try to value your time because you're spending it with me, and I appreciate that. So divisional round weekend in the NFL, one of the best weekends of the year. Great football. You really get to see teams that match up really well. Most of the games were pretty good, with the exception of Baltimore and and Buffalo, which even you could you could even say that was a pretty good game. Uh, Buffalo wins that one, seventeen to three. They're twelve and three in home playoff games in in team history. They're going to the AFC Championship game. The Packers over the Rams, thirty two to eighteen. Green Bay now seven and one in home playoff games on Saturday all time. They're going to be playing at Lambeau next Sunday in the NFC Championship. Aaron Rodgers will be hosting his first NFC Championship game. Not his first one he's ever played in, the first one at home. Uh, that will be huge. And actually, lucky for Tampa Bay is that it's a, it's a day game, so it might be somewhat warm. I think that's like a 2.05 kick local time, so they're going to be doing it at the warmest part of the day, and uh, they don't have to do it with the lights on at Lambeau. Uh, Chiefs over the Browns 22-17. This was the game that stole the headlines. Kansas City is going to host the AFC Championship game for the third straight season. Andy Reid has done that twice now in his career where he's hosted the conference championship game, which is uh, very impressive. I don't think any other coach has ever done that before. Um, Tampa Bay, first win over the in the divisional round since 2002, which happens to be the same year they won the Super Bowl. They win over the Saints 30-20. to and uh, this was sad because this seemed to, quite honestly and obviously, be the end of an era. It seemed to be the end of Drew Brees. And there was a report from Jay Glazer of Fox Sports before the game saying that this would be Brees' last game in the Superdome. And if they lost, it would be his last game overall. And it certainly appeared that that way, uh, especially you see the way Drew walked off the field blowing kisses and looking up and then right as he started to walk into the tunnel, he stopped and, and turned back around to, to look at the Superdome, and it just kind of felt like that was it. There's been rumors that he's come to an agreement with NBC Sports to be an analyst for them, and I'm sure he'll be spectacular on TV. I don't have any doubt about that. But, you know, to see him kind of like physically just kind of flail to the end of his career there and not to go out on top was hard to watch because there's few people on earth – as nice a guy as as Drew Brees and Tyron Matthew, the Chiefs' safety, um, sent out a really nice tweet about Drew Drew Brees, and uh, he said, uh, "Being from New Orleans, Drew Brees meant everything to us in that city. At many times, our only hope, you know, to smile and feel good, to live in a winning reality. That man gave us all life. None of us are perfect, but he was close. Salute." Hashtag nine forever at Drew Brees. That is one hell of a compliment. None of us are perfect, but he was close. That is a that's a really really nice thing to say from a first of all from a New Orleans native and from a fellow NFL player for Tyron Matthew to say that I think that carries a lot of weight and I think that speaks to how highly thought of Drew Brees is not only across the NFL but especially in the city of New Orleans and everything he did for them post-Katrina. And, you know, you really look at it, Breeze was a free agent before signing with the Saints, and he had had a shoulder issue. And a lot of people, you know, didn't 
want to deal with him. They didn't want to give him money. They didn't want to kind of take a chance on him. Um, the Saints were and had been a laughing stock for quite some time. They took a chance on Breeze, and Breeze really kind of took a chance on them too. And it ended up working out well, more than well. They won a Super Bowl together. Drew Breeze over eighty thousand passing yards. He owns and or has flip flopped with Tom Brady on basically every single record in the book: passing yards, passing touchdowns, completions, completion percentage, whatever it is. Drew Breeze is at the top, and and. It's sad that because he only had one Super Bowl, air quotes on only, that for some reason we don't think of him as highly as we think of the others. I mean, we even put him a few pegs behind Aaron Rodgers, and we some people are already putting him behind Patrick Mahomes and behind Ben Roethlisberger. Like, I don't even I don't even know. I mean, for me, it's like Tom Brady, it's like Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, like, I mean, two A, one A, and. 1B when it comes to those two. I mean, Brady is far and ahead above everybody else, but for for Breeze to go out that way was difficult. I mean, the physical limitations all season long, you could tell the shoulder wasn't right. He broke a bunch of ribs. He just wasn't healthy, and he just physically could not hold up in an NFL season anymore. And it's going to be a a tough reset for the Saints. They have almost zero money. I think they're like actually $100 million in the red for the cap this year, so they're going to have – it's going to be tough for them to to bounce back next year. But all that's besides the point. Drew Brees, it seems like, is over. You know, we saw Peyton Manning at the end of his career with the Broncos, and that dude could barely throw. And I mean, I legitimately think I could have thrown better than Peyton Manning that year that they won the Super Bowl. But they won the Super Bowl. He rode his defense to the end, and he just kept throwing short passes and, and making some throws when he needed to. And you know, I got to watch Peyton that year in person. They came to Cincinnati on a Monday night, and Peyton looked, you know, borderline terrible. Threw a pick six to Drake Kirkpatrick, who's one of the worst players in the NFL and in the history of the league and one of the league's dumbest players as well. And he threw that pick six to Kirkpatrick, and the Bengals clinched a playoff berth that night, and yada, yada, yada. And I remember just thinking, because I got to see Peyton before the game. We went to the hotel, and I was literally like six feet away from him, and I just remember soaking that in, like, God, this guy is one of the all-time greats, and he's right there at the end, and uh, yeah, it was just, it was really fascinating to to watch them that year, and to see him, and, and the way that they finished the season out, because the year before, they got smoked in the Super Bowl, and they had the best offense in the NFL, and Peyton was fantastic. Following year, their offense sucked, Peyton was not very good, their defense was one of the all-time greats, and they won the Super Bowl, so... It's just so hard for players to go out on top, and for Breeze to to finish the way he did was obviously a little bit heartbreaking. But, um, yeah. So let's let's focus really quickly on. Okay, let me the Packers real quick. The Packers are the best team in the NFL. Aaron Rodgers is the best player in the NFL, and that should not be debated. The way they're going right now, they're going to be really difficult to beat. If anybody can do it, it's the Buccaneers who put a hurting on them earlier this year. But the Bucks got to come to Lambeau. Aaron Rodgers is playing out of his mind, and I, I legitimately haven't seen Rodgers play like this since 2010 when they won the Super Bowl. It's like every throw he makes is the right throw. He's getting lucky. There was like three passes he made in this game this week that could have like easily been intercepted, but they were just dropped. Like, when luck's on your side, <laughs> it feels like the Packers are going to the Super Bowl, but... Tommy Brady stands in Aaron's way. We'll talk about that more next week. The game of the week was Kansas City and Cleveland. And I got I have some crow to eat about Cleveland because 
I said earlier on this podcast that I didn't perceive Cleveland as a legitimate threat to win, a win a playoff game, which they did over the Pittsburgh Steelers, and b make any noise in the AFC. And they made a lot of noise on Sunday against the number one seeded Kansas City Chiefs in Arrowhead. So I take you know I I hate that I'm saying it, but I was wrong about the Cleveland Browns. They are a legitimate football team, a legitimate contender. And I was impressed by the way that they played. I was impressed with Baker Mayfield. I was impressed that them dudes just kept fighting. They never gave up. You can tell they're well-coached, and you can tell they're hungry. I hate it. I hate everything about it. I want them to fail with every fiber of my being. I wish terrible things on that franchise all the time, and I want them to just continue to fold, and I want them to go 0-16 next year. But I'll give credit where it's due. That's a good football team, and they played their hearts out, and they damn near beat the Kansas City Chiefs at Arrowhead. Um, you know, the the play of the game, Patrick Mahomes gets hurt, and it, he's, like, wobbling around. And it looks like he's got a concussion, and there's all these issues, and blah, blah, blah. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But then Chad Henney comes in the game, just throws the ball up as high as he can. It gets intercepted by Carl Joseph, gives the Browns a chance. They bring it to within six. And then Chad Henney, all of a sudden, your Super Bowl hopes, your AFC title game hopes, your advancement hopes, if you're the Kansas City Chiefs, lie in the hands of Chad Henney. And he did just enough. More than anything, on fourth and one, at about midfield, Andy Reid dials up a pass with Chad Henney. And there was no hesitation. You know, we talk a lot about, and you know, analytics are taking over the game and all this. There are a lot of coaches in the NFL that coach scared. And scared football or scared coaching loses football games. Andy Reid is a lot of things. He ain't scared ever. He said, let me get my backup quarterback. I'm not going to change my offense whatsoever. We're going to go for it fourth and one because we're the best offense in the league. We got two of the best offensive minds in the league, and our system is greater than our quarterback, and we will make a play on fourth and one to win the football game and send us to the AFC championship game. That's exactly what they did. Perfect little play call, rolled out to the right, Henny hits the receiver, first down, ball game. Andy Reid showing extreme testicular fortitude, not being afraid of the Cleveland Browns, having faith in his backup quarterback, trusting in his preparation. And uh, I love that call from Andy Reid. I love fearlessness in NFL coaches. I love aggressiveness in NFL coaches because – I mean, I think Andy, number one, has built up enough of a reputation that if that goes haywire, eh, okay. And if it doesn't, then he's a genius, which is what we're talking about right now. But the big deal this week and is making the, the rounds in sports talk radio and all the talking heads on TV is that Patrick Mahomes suffered a concussion in this game. And he was like wobbling around and he, he he looked terrible, but the hit didn't really show that big of a blow to his head. And there was a lot of confusion about what the injury really was at first. And so since all this has happened, Mahomes did have a concussion. Mahomes is in concussion protocol and Mahomes did make significant strides towards playing on Sunday this week. However, there are also reports out that it's more than just a concussion. He's got a toe injury. He was stepped on earlier in the game, a toe-slash-foot injury. And it seems to be there was some sort of nerve issue that happened on the play in which he was concussed. Here's Joe Thomas talking to Dan Patrick on the Dan Patrick Show 
about that injury and kind of what can happen in that situation? Once we heard that it was maybe some type of a compressed neck nerve issue, it made sense why he was having a hard time getting that foot under himself. Cause I was actually at the game. And so the, the play kind of happened nearly in front of me. And as soon as it happened, it looked like he'd kind of been knocked out like a boxer where he was having a hard time getting to his feet. But then it kind of made a little bit more sense because when you get some nerve issue in your leg, a lot of times it gives you what they call drop foot. You know, I've had some back injuries, um, some uh, lumbar spine issues and that if you get that numbness in your, your leg, you can kind of get that drop foot, which makes it almost look like you're having a hard time climbing to your feet because it's a neurological thing. So, um, mm. you know, hopefully for NFL fans, for Chiefs fans, this is a nerve thing that just takes care of itself really quickly. And it wasn't actually a big type concussion that's going to knock them out for any length of time. There you have it. Brown's great future Hall of Famer Joe Thomas talking about uh, the concussion. Joe obviously now working for NFL Network, talking about the concussion, the neck injury, uh, kind of the the odd-looking tackle and play that it was that led to Mahomes being injured and obviously in question his status for Sunday. So let's take a look at these games really quickly. I got the Packers. I think the Packers are the best team in the NFL. Rodgers is playing out of his mind. I think they win the game at home. I think they go to the Super Bowl. Bills and the Chiefs. Obviously, if Mahomes isn't playing, it's pretty easy to pick the Bills. I still feel like Mahomes will play. I still feel like the Chiefs will win. But I would not be surprised at all because this has been the last 18 months of just debauchery of everything going on. I have no idea what's happening. And every, it just like seems like every single day something crazier will happen. And uh, for the Buffalo Bills to make the playoffs at this point or to make the Super Bowl at this point would not surprise me at all. So, But I'm rooting for hardcore. I'm rooting for a Rodgers-Mahomes Super Bowl. I think that's what we all deserve. I think that's what everybody wants to see. Obviously hoping that both those guys are completely healthy and we all know that the folks at State Farm also want to see that. Okay, so... Wrapping things up here, and I'm going way long, and I apologize, but I appreciate you spending your time with me. One thing I've noticed as we reach the uh, toward kind of the end of the hiring cycle in the NFL, a lot was made going into the season, obviously because of the unrest across the country and and the racial divide that we continue to experience about the NFL's lack of diversity in head coaching positions and in front office positions. And I think a legitimate effort has been made by the NFL to try to increase that. But it's interesting to me that despite all of that, the league and the team still kind of don't make that many decisions towards that. So the char- the Chargers fired Anthony Lynn. Anthony Lynn was one of the few minority head coaches in the NFL, and only one has been hired in this hiring cycle. That was Robert Sala. Uh, to the New York Jets from the San Francisco 49ers. Now, there have been two uh, minority GMs hired, one by the Atlanta Falcons and one by the – oh, gosh, I'm forgetting already. Um, Hold on, I had the the thing up here. Brad Holmes by the Detroit Lions. So the two – those two minorities being hired doubled the amount of minority GMs in the NFL. It went from two to four. So that's obviously a step in the right direction. Um, But if you have time, and and this probably should have been my easy read segment, but now that I'm thinking of it, but 
NFL.com, Judy Bautista wrote a spectacular column about the lack of diversity and how it looms over the NFL coach and GM hiring cycle this year. There were seven jobs. There's only two left, and only one minority has been hired. And uh, I'll just read from you um, kind of this, uh, this one paragraph here from Judy Bautista of NFL.com. She said, Robert Sala, hired by the New York Jets, is the only diverse candidate to land a head coaching job so far. Sala feels like a home run hire, but the fact that a big pool of qualified men, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy most prominently, but also Bucks D coordinator Todd Bowles, ex-Lions coach Jim Caldwell, Bills defensive coordinator Leslie Frazier, and I'll throw in Marvin Lewis in there as well, is so far untapped means the NFL still has a significant problem. If Sala is the only hire in this cycle, the NFL will remain at just four minority coaches, Mike Tomlin in Pittsburgh, Ron Rivera in Washington, Brian Flores in Miami, and Robert Sala in New York, and have gained no ground after the firing of Anthony Lynn by the Chargers. The Chargers' hiring of Rams defensive coordinator Brandon Staley brings into sharp relief a major hurdle for minority coaches. Meteoric rises of young coaches rarely happen for minorities. The recent popularity of young coaches has allowed them to leapfrog seasoned minority coaches who for years were encouraged to serve as coordinators or to get play-calling experience only to have the goalposts moved after they did that. That's deep stuff from Judy Bautista, NFL.com. She also goes on to how to say about how owners might be more likely to hire a minority for a GM job now because those are often jobs not in the spotlight and that they would still want uh, a white man or, or someone that looks like them to be the face of the franchise as their head coach. It's an interesting read, and there's a lot to, that goes into it. I, I don't think that there's any way – I don't think there's any way you could say that there's not qualified minority candidates out there. You know, the whole situation in Houston, like I said, where Deshaun Watson's pissed off is because he wanted them to, to interview Eric Bieniemy. He wanted them to be the, the next head coach of the Texans. And they didn't even interview him. And that pissed Watson off because he just signed this long-term deal for a lot of money to be the, the face of the franchise. And he felt like his voice wasn't being heard. And the McNair family in Houston has obviously had issues before when it comes to racist remarks. So there's blood in the water down there at the moment. And there's blood in the water across the NFL because things aren't changing like they should be. Um, so I just find it really interesting that there's a lot of talk about it and there's rules in place to try to improve it. Yet here we are with two head coaching jobs still available, Houston and Philadelphia, and only one minority hire in terms of a head coach. But there were two GMs hired, Terry Fontenot in Atlanta and Brad Holmes in Detroit. Those are obviously important. So that is that. Go check that out, NFL.com. Judy Bautista, the lack of diversity looms over the NFL coach and GM hiring cycle. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I enjoyed bringing it to you. I kind of didn't know what I was going to talk about all that much, just kind of started writing on a piece of paper. Next thing you know, uh, it all kind of came together. A couple things before we go. Speaking of Ohio State earlier, Chris Olave and Jeremy Ruckert are coming back. But Trey Sermon and Justin Fields are not. It's going to be an interesting transition year for the Buckeyes, two of their best pass catchers and one of their best blockers coming back, but don't really know who the quarterback's going to be throwing to them. Feels like a year where Ohio State misses the playoff but wins the Rose Bowl. 
And finally, a nugget about college basketball. And I know I get a lot of flack from some people that I don't talk about basketball. Here's the thing with me you got to understand. Basketball season does not start until the Monday after the Super Bowl. Let's just keep that in mind, okay? Basketball season does not start until the Monday after the Super Bowl. That's just how it is in my world. But a college basketball nugget for you. For the first time since December of 1961, North Carolina, Duke, and Kentucky, all three are not ranked in the top 25. That is absolutely crazy to me, and I think it should be crazy to you. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, folks, ball don't lie. In the meantime, have fun, be safe, and go Bucks.